A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 35 through 43. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, praise to you, Lord, Lord Christ. A reading from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, Jesus uh, pointed to Zacchaeus and said, uh, today salvation had come to his house. And, and he said that he is a, a real son of Abraham. Um, Father, we want that same commendation. We want to be counted among the sons of Abraham, the, those who have a real faith and not a phony one. Um, so whatever it takes to get that done in us, will you get it done in us? Make it clear, make yourself clear, grant us to hear, grant us by your power to respond, and grant us to find ourselves found by you. And we ask that you to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Um, let me ask uh, two questions. Keep, keep those readings in front of you. We're going to look at both of them. Um, uh, what do we mean by the word faith? What do we mean by the word repentance? Uh, now, if you grew up in church, you have almost certainly heard those words all your life. Um, however, my question is this. How clear are we about what those words actually mean? And to what extent is our understanding of those words, faith and repentance, kind of a, a, a cloud of connotations without a lot of clarity? Um, I can imagine somebody saying, uh, oh, wait, I think, especially somebody who grew up in church, wait, uh, yeah, I, I, 
I know what faith and repentance is, but it's kind of hard to explain. I can imagine somebody saying uh, uh, repentance is, uh, has something to do with feeling really sorry for my sins. Uh, it's a bit dour, um, and it, I should probably feel bad if I'm repenting. And faith, faith, well, uh, faith has something about taking a blind leap into something or other. Uh, and, or maybe it, faith means holding the right views, something like orthodoxy or, or something like that. But I kind of know, but I, it's hard to explain. Now, you, you may uh, describe faith and repentance with different words than that, but do you get, do you see how uh, faith and repentance very often uh, we kind of have an intuitive sense of what they mean, but uh, the details are kind of unclear. And if you did not grow up in church, then, uh, you know, the word faith may well mean just a kind of vague uh, synonym for religion or spirituality. I have a faith. Or repentance probably is, is almost exclusively used by religious people. Now, all that to say, there's a good chance that many of us, even if you have a religious background, are not very clear what faith and repentance actually means in any clarity. And that's a, that's a, a problem. It's a big deal. Why? We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and one of the big themes in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is regularly confronting uh, toxic religion, phony spirituality, hypocrisy. In fact, I don't know anybody that addresses phony religion, toxic uh, spirituality uh, with more clarity and consistency and insight than Jesus does. He, he just does it all the time. But the more you see Jesus confronting toxic religion, phony religion, it begs the question. And the question is, uh, if it's easy for religion to be toxic, what does the real thing look like? And how, how do you tell the difference between the real thing and a phony thing? And how do you make sure you're doing the real thing and not the silly thing? Now, there's many ways to answer that question, whether the signs are true religion. But Jesus' answer always includes faith and repentance. According to Jesus, real faith and real repentance are just indispensable if you want to follow Jesus and if you want to grasp Jesus's message, and that means, that means, that's an implication. Here it is. If you and I are vague about what faith and repentance actually means, then that, that means we are vulnerable to perpetrating toxic religion. So it's very important that we get clear. What does Jesus mean by faith? What does Jesus mean by repentance? And our readings help. Um, in both of our readings, in so many words, Jesus looks at these two individuals and he says, that's real faith, that's what it looks like, that's real repentance, that's what it looks like. So, what do we mean by faith? What do we mean by repentance? We'll start with the first story and focus on faith, then we'll switch to the second story and focus on repentance. First of all, go to the first story and look at verse 35. Jesus is on a road trip to Jerusalem. Uh, he's, he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to die. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows they're going to kill him. In fact, if we were able to read the paragraph just before this first reading, uh, Jesus is telling everybody, I'm, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again three days later. So it's on his mind. Everything's getting really real for Jesus. 
He walks into, into Jericho, which is basically the last stop before getting to Jerusalem, the last place he might stay the night. And uh, there's a very poor uh, blind beggar on the side of the road, and this blind beggar hears that Jesus is entering the city. Uh, verse 36, he hears a crowd, as everybody's starting to, the crowd goes wild, he asks what's going on, they say, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, and then in verse 38, now pay attention here, he hears that Jesus of Nazareth, note that term, is passing by, but in verse 38, he doesn't call out for Jesus of Nazareth, he calls out for Jesus, son of David. You see that? Now, does that matter? It does matter. Why does it matter? Here's why. The term Jesus of Nazareth is the most generic term for Jesus that you can have. It's almost like Jesus's last name, Nazareth. It wasn't his last name. They didn't have last names just like we do, but it's almost like that because that's his uh, town of origin. So people say Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. That doesn't say anything about what they think Jesus is or who they think Jesus is. But the blind man starts crying out, Jesus, son of David. And that's not a last name, that's a title. Son of David is what you call Jesus if you think he's the Messiah. If you think he's uh, Israel's true king, if you think that Jesus is God's uh, chosen authority in the world. Now, this is 18 chapters into the Gospel of Luke. We're way into the Gospel of Luke. But up until this point, nobody has called Jesus the son of David until this man does. Now, here's what you need to see. This man had clearly heard something about Jesus for some time. Somehow, this man had heard what it is that Jesus did. Somehow, this man had heard uh, what Jesus had said. And perhaps through the grapevine, we don't know. But as he listened and thought about it, this man clearly began to put the pieces together. And somehow this man began to realize what it all meant. He could see, despite the fact that he was blind, nevertheless, as he heard about who Jesus is, he could see that if Jesus really did what Jesus did, and if Jesus really said what Jesus said, then it meant that Jesus was not just a rabbi, it meant that he was the, the Messiah. Now, what's my point? My point is this, that's where real faith begins. There's a particular relationship between hearing and faith. Uh, elsewhere in, the, in the, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 10, it, he says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And you can think of it this way. Uh, many people in Jericho that day had seen Jesus with their eyes. Uh, many people witnessed Jesus do remarkable things. And in all the records that we have of Jesus's ministry, nobody ever uh, disputed the fact that remarkable things happened wherever Jesus ministered. However, it's possible to see something of Jesus with your eyes, but never really pay attention to the message and never internalize its meaning. But this was a man who heard about Jesus, and what that meant was that he heard the message and he began to internalize the meaning, and that's where faith is generated. Um, this is one of the reasons why it's, it's very possible, very easy, in fact, to be uh, 
very religiously active and yet never really have any true faith. And what I mean is that I can do lots of religious things. Um, I'm personally a professional. So I know something. You can do all kinds of religious things and never really deeply pay attention to the message and internalize its meaning. Faith is always more than mere religious activity. Faith is born when we internalize the meaning of the message. It's not just a uh, leap into irrationality. This blind man was not gullible. He was intelligent. So faith is born as we uh, hear the message and internalize its meaning. But then secondly, faith comes alive as we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ. The, go back to the reading. The blind man starts to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody tells him to shut up, and he doesn't. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, that prayer, uh, it's actually... I was talking about this just a minute ago. That's the beginning of the Jesus prayer. Uh, and you can ask me about that later. I'm not going to talk about that right now. But that prayer is a distilled prayer. It's the outward expression of fundamental internal faith. Just think with me for a second. Uh, this man could have heard about Jesus, internalized the message, but then he could have stopped there. Uh, he could have said something like, well, I've come to the view that Jesus uh, is, in fact, the Messiah. He ticks all the boxes, and I hold that position sincerely, uh, and I'm going to feel very good about the fact that I figured it out and nobody else has. Now, that's an opinion, but that's not faith. That's a theory. That's not faith. Faith is when that conviction, the internalization of the message, leads to action, and the action is specific. It's placing our trust in Jesus. Or I could say it differently. Faith is when we give Jesus our consent. Uh, this man didn't just believe that Jesus was a merciful guy in general. This man knew that he personally needed Jesus specifically. And so when he asked for mercy, he was consenting to the work of mercy that needed to be that needed to happen you can see that in verse 40 jesus stops and he asks him what is it that you want and there's part of me that wants to say come on jesus you were famous as a healer you could probably put the pieces together but nevertheless jesus seems to want to be asked he says what do you want me to do and verse 41 the man says let me recover my sight he gave his full consent to the work of mercy that needed to happen in his life. Now, Emmanuel, I may believe that God exists in theory, but that is not yet faith as Jesus describes it. I may believe that Jesus is a great teacher, but that is not faith as Jesus describes it. I may believe more than that. I may hold uh, very orthodox views about Jesus, but yet from a distance. Faith is when I hear Jesus's message, internalize its meaning, and then I see that this is a mercy that I particularly need. And then that moves me to give my consent to whatever it is Jesus needs to do in my life. So I say, Jesus, I need your mercy. Do whatever it takes in me. I consent to your work, and I consent to your work all the way down. 
because I may need more, more mercy than I know I'm aware of at the moment. So what's faith? Well, it begins with hearing. It comes alive as we trust Jesus specifically and consent to his work comprehensively. And that brings up a question. Here's the question, team. Uh, what areas of your life are you presently withholding consent from Christ? Those will be the areas of your most dangerous temptation. Now, go back to the reading. So Jesus heals him, verse 42. He says, your faith has made you well. You could also translate that just as easily. Your faith has saved you. And then he gets up after being healed. And do you see the joy? You got to see the joy. He begins to glorify God. So would you. And he follows Jesus, which means he becomes a disciple of Jesus. Now, focus on the joy, because the joy is when faith hands off to repentance. Uh, a lot of us think about uh, repentance and joy as kind of opposites, that they're just, they're, they're like opposite mag magnets that just push apart. That's wrong. Repentance does involve grief. But repentance is also deeply animated by joy. And in order to show you what I mean, we need to go to the second reading. Uh, this is the famous story of Zacchaeus. Uh, the word repentance is never mentioned, but the concept is everywhere present. Think about Zacchaeus. Nobody expects Zacchaeus to be an exemplar of anything in the spiritual life, right? Um, and there's good reason for that. Uh, the first reason is he's rich, uh, which may not immediately discount him in our eyes, but if you've been reading the Gospel of Luke, just two, uh, two or three paragraphs before this reading, and we talked about this last week, Jesus says uh, it basically, it's really hard for a rich person to surrender to Christ. In fact, he says, it'll take a miracle. And here, so, and all through the Gospel of Luke, wealthy people and powerful people usually don't respond to Jesus because they're quite comfortable trusting in themselves. So when we read that he's rich, as a reader of the Gospel of Luke, we kind of go, oh yeah, this is probably not going to go well. And everybody else in, in Jericho would agree. They would agree, though, not because he's rich, but because he's a tax collector. And he's a chief tax collector, which means in the town of Jericho, he was notorious for uh, cheating people and propping up an unjust Roman system of oppression. So nobody likes Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is curious. Apparently he's short, climbs up a tree. Um, and, but then something happens that he doesn't expect. He thinks he's seeking Jesus. But it turns out, and he discovers, that Jesus was actually seeking him. Jesus stops. Verse 5, uh, he looks up, he recognizes Zacchaeus, and he says, hey, Zacchaeus. And then that had to be an awkward moment. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Um, I, you're having me over today. I've got to come to your house. But now look at verse 6. And I want you to look for the joy, and I want you to look for, what the, for the grumbling. The crowd hates that Jesus is going to this jerk's house. But Zacchaeus is full of joy, and he receives Jesus joyfully. And that's the joy that picks up where the story of the blind man leaves off. Remember I said just a few minutes ago, joy is where faith hands off to repentance. 
The blind man rejoices because Jesus healed him, and that joy motivates him to get up, glorify God, and begin following Jesus as one of Jesus' disciples. Zacchaeus is filled with the same joy. He hasn't been healed, but Jesus does show him mercy and undeserved kindness and undeserved honor by just coming over to Zacchaeus's house. And Jesus's kindness and mercy softens Zacchaeus and fills him with a joy that he never got from any of his business dealings. And it's that joy that motivates the repentance that comes next. Look what he does. He completely reorients his life in order to reflect Jesus. Now, we don't know all the specifics, but tax collectors were famous, infamous uh, for um, taking a cut from what they collected and taking more than they were supposed to. And he was probably greedy. He was probably a cheat. And he almost certainly prospered at the expense of the poor families of Jericho. It's complete speculation, but one wonders what the previously blind beggar thought of Zacchaeus. Now keep that in mind and look at verse 8. Do you see what he does with his money? He gives half of it to the poor, and he resolves to restore everything that he had defrauded with fourfold interest. Now, that is a Copernican revolution in this man's life. That's a 180. He's turning around, and he's, I mean, he's burning rubber in the other direction. And do you see the connection between how Jesus treats Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus responds and treats his community? But previously, he had defrauded his community. But then Jesus shows him kindness and mercy, and, G and Zacchaeus pays attention, internalizes the meaning of the message, and he responds by reflecting Jesus' character toward his city. As Jesus was generous to him, he is generous to others. He gives away half his wealth. He restores what he defrauded uh, fourfold. That, Emmanuel, is repentance. Repentance begins with the joy of Jesus' mercy, and it responds by reorienting our whole life about uh, reorienting our, our, our allegiances, reorienting our priorities from the self to Christ, and then reflecting his character in every area of our life in an increasing measure. Now, one of the ways, it's important that we note this, one of the ways we do that is by seeking to repair the harm that our sin has produced. Now, there's times that, like, he restores uh, what he defrauded fourfold. There are times and there are sins that the harm is such that it cannot be repaired. But when we can repair the harm of our sin, we must. We must do so with joy because of the mercy we've received. But I want you to see the unity of faith and repentance. They're distinct, but they're never separate. Faith begins by hearing the message of Jesus, internalizing the message, and faith comes alive as we trust Jesus and consent to the work of mercy all the way down. And as we receive that mercy, joy is generated and that joy motivates the reorienting of our lives around jesus and that eventually changes everything faith and repentance is a seamless whole 
And Jesus says it's the mark of true religion. Verse 19, he looks at, G, at Zacchaeus, or verse 9 in the second reading, he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, today salvation has come to this house since he too is a son of Abraham. Now remember, Abraham's the gold standard of religious faith. And Jesus is saying, hey, everybody, you see this tax collector you despise for good reason? Well, he's the real deal. Uh, some of us have been Christians for a long time, Emmanuel. Uh, and there's a warning for us here. I wonder if you see it. The religious insiders were grumbling, not repenting in this story. And in the first story, they're shunning and shushing the blind man, but they're not trusting Jesus. And the question is, what are we doing? And remember, faith and repentance, it's not just how you started out as a Christian, okay? It's not like, oh, Jim, this is so basic. I dealt with that a long time ago when I became a Christian. Friends, no. No, if you believe that, then you're in grave peril. Faith and repentance is how the Christian breathes. We breathe in Jesus' grace, and that's called faith. We breathe out his grace, and that's called repentance. And if we ever stop breathing in and breathing out, we will, we will not last long. Some of us are not Christians yet. And I wonder what it is that's holding you back. Is the message unclear? Is the cost too high? Whatever the case, we would love, at Emmanuel, it would be our highest pleasure to walk with you to try to clarify the message. We would love to do that. And the reason is, that the, and this is true for all of us, the joy of the blind man and the joy of Zacchaeus, the joy of real faith and real repentance is just waiting to break in on you, waiting to break in on you ever more deeply. But now I can hear somebody coming back and saying, but, ah, but I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I can hear somebody saying, you know, I would love to be a person of faith, and I would love for my faith to grow, but I'm stuck. I just don't have the gift of faith. I just, I, 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 I can't turn myself around. I can't repent the way I know I need to repent. I'm stuck and I cannot move. And if that's what comes up for you, my response is this, rejoice. What? Yes, rejoice if you're stuck. Why? Because if you feel stuck, it might be an indication that you're actually seeing yourself clearly for the first time. Look at the last verse. In the second reading, Jesus says, the Son of Man came, came to seek and save the lost. He also came to seek and save the stuck. See, here, here's the point. Faith and repentance, um, it's not a performance, it's a response. The blind man didn't get up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to start believing for my healing. It's not how it worked. He heard that Jesus of Nazareth was going by, and he knew that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of David. It was a response. Zacchaeus didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think it's time for me to turn over a new leaf. What happened is he found himself sought by Jesus, which means that faith and repentance does not begin with me. It begins with Jesus, 
Faith and repentance does not begin with me seeking Jesus. It begins with Jesus seeking me. And the ultimate mark of real faith and real repentance is when we find ourselves found by Jesus. And that means that right now you can be confident that Jesus is seeking you. Wherever you're at, whether you've walked with him for a long time or you haven't yet started, he's seeking you. And do you know how you can be confident that he's seeking you? You can be confident because after he left Jericho the next day, he climbed up the steep 12-mile hill to Jerusalem. And he did that so that he could be lifted up on another hill, high upon a cross, and he could die and three days later rise again for your salvation. And when he was dying on the cross, many, many things happened, and it was a remarkable mystery. But it means at least this, that on the cross, Jesus was repairing the harm of the sin that we can never repair. He was repairing the dismantled relationship with God. And if Jesus died and rose again for you, and he did, then it means that you can be confident that he hasn't given up on you now. You can be confident that even if you can't generate faith and repentance, that you can ask him to come and find you, to come and seek you, to seek after you and find you. You can ask like the blind man, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let that be the prayer by which you breathe. And ask him to give you a faith that you cannot generate yourself. And as you listen to the message and internalize the meaning, and as you cry out with faith, with that prayer, then you will find yourself found by Jesus, and you will know a joy that generates repentance, and that will become the new way you breathe. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.